0: This is Democracy on the Move. (music) Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, February 12, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today, we'll talk with Tim Ely, the co-leader of the St. Louis chapter of an organization known as Citizens Climate Lobby. But first, you know, those who pump millions of dollars into our political campaigns obviously expect something in return. The outright purchasing of political influence in this country has gotten out of hand especially since the infamous 2010 Supreme Court ruling of Citizens United. But there is hope. We can fight back. Check out Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. For more information, you can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. So, today we're talking with Tim Ely, a co leader of the St. Louis chapter for the Citizens Climate Lobby. Citizens Climate Lobby, or CCL, is a nonprofit, nonpartisan, grassroots advocacy climate change organization focused on national policies to address climate change. They take a nonpartisan approach to educating folks on the topic of climate change. CCL focuses on educating people, but they know that they educate people because they know it's the key to unlocking a broad, sustainable foundation for climate action across all geographic regions and political persuasions. They build upon shared values rather than partisan divides, and they empower their supporters to work toward the adoption of fair, effective, and sustainable climate change solutions. And hey, you know, nothing happens without political will, so. They train an army of support volunteers to build relationships with elected officials, as well as with the media and their local community. Now, where did this citizens' climate lobby come from? Well, there's this guy by the name of Marshall Saunders who started it back in 2007 when he realized that his passion of helping people out of poverty was being overshadowed by environmental issues. He noticed that people in poverty are often the first to feel the effects of climate change as their homes, often located in high-risk and polluted areas, become unlivable. The Citizens' Climate Lobby has since grown to a membership of about 200,000 supporters and participants with over 560 chapters all around the world. Now, the approach is simple. Empower people to reclaim their democracy and engage their members of Congress to take action on climate change. As Marshall himself said, we can't sit around waiting for the cavalry to ride in and save the day. We are the cavalry. Tim Ely is one of those volunteers. He is a co-leader of the St. Louis chapter of the Citizens' Climate Lobby and is here now to talk with us about the organization, what it's doing, and where it's going. So, Tim, thank you for joining us on Democracy on the Move, and welcome to the program.
1: Uh, Well, thank you, Dan, and uh, thank you for having me, and and glad to be here. Good.
0: So, let's talk about optimism, because that figures highly into the uh, Citizens' Climate uh, Lobby organization, In in fact, it's cited as one of the core values of CCL. They say, quote, we believe that people are good and that democracy works. Okay, so that's really optimistic because we've all seemed to be preoccupied with partisan politics these days. It sort of feels like we're all fighting over the deck chairs on the Titanic. I I like the optimism, but in your
1: experience, how does this work in practice? So that's a really good question. It's actually the case in this country that, uh, you know, this is not the first time we've been through some very uh, partisan, you know, hyper-partisan times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, as a country, we, we've gone through political divisions, you know, not, not just counting, you know, of course, the Civil War, but there have been right. many other times, too. And we've come through it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, If we have anything to hope for, we have to uh, have you know stir that sense of optimism in that we can do something. Uh, We we cannot give into fatalism. You know, I mean that goes for just about anything in life, right? Um, And and doubly so for trying to make our democracy work. You know, I think and this is a time in history where I think there's a lot of organizations and a lot of people that are saying, "Hey, you know, we." We can't give up right now, you know, because if we if we do, uh, you know, that could be a bleak future. So, um, you know, we got to keep our eye on the prize uh-huh. and make this democracy work. And if you look on our uh, uh, main webpage, uh, it said this: it's been it's been the same uh, phrase on there for years. It says our solution to climate change is democracy, uh-huh.
0: and representative democracy because everybody can participate, but why is that necessarily I, – and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is not the case, but why is it necessarily the case that democracy figures into um, climate change or the, the fight against climate change?
1: So, uh, as you said, as we all know, we, we are in a very partisan uh, period, um, but – People can agree when you really get down to it. Uh, if you have honest discussions where you talk about values, uh, people can agree on more things than than they disagree on if, mm-hmm. if they can get past all the, you know, the hyperbole. Right. Um, and and the thinking is that uh, we want our leaders to know whether. Whichever side of the aisle they sit on, uh, that there are common things that we all agree on. I mean, there there definitely are common things that you know, no matter which side of the aisle you sit on, you know, Mm -hmm. they will agree. Uh, And climate change is definitely one of those things. It is impacting people's people's property, people's lives, uh, the future for for the next generation. Uh, and that shouldn't be a partisan thing. So that that should be something that um, we we need our leaders to understand that people care about no matter which where they fall politically on other issues. And we and we need solutions that are going to be more than just an individual, you know, doing recycling or putting some solar panels up on the roof. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we need bigger systemic solutions. So, so that t- takes takes everybody. Everybody yeah. Everybody
0: has to come to an agreement and it takes everybody's participation. Yeah, I get that. And and the thing about CCL is they talk a lot about relationships. It's all about building relationships with those in power. And so I was wondering about the dynamics of that because it in getting back to this political divide, uh, it, it seems that those in power these days, as soon as they're elected, they start working on their next election. And to them, climate change... Just becomes a political football that they can move back and forth across the field to score points with their constituent voters. Um, how do you get these players off this proverbial football field and into an environment where they're motivated to solve the urgent problem of climate change?
1: The way this uh, appears to our volunteers, it's gonna there, there's going to be sort of a common element no matter where you are in in the country, and then. Then there's going to be a little bit of a different answer if you're in, um, say, a, a red state where maybe the the politicians are, are not as uh, enthusiastic about addressing climate change versus a blue state where maybe the, maybe they are a little more enthusiastic mm-hmm. traditionally. Um, but the idea is, you know, again, th- this is something that poll polling is indicating that um, more and more people are are taking notice of this. So relationships are important because, uh, you know, as you say, there's there's a lot of posturing going on, a lot of just, you know, trying to play to people's uh, whatever their core base is to get to the next election, but uh, this is not a law of physics that, that it has to be that way, and things can and and do change and so relationships are very important because um the person who today may not be saying anything you know favorable about doing something about the the climate Mm -hmm. things can and i honestly believe that they will shift to to where that does become a priority and when that does become a priority, those relationships uh, will will come into play. So we have um, lobby meet. We schedule lobby meetings with our members of Congress, and typically it just ends up being their staff. But occasionally, the the member of Congress will uh, uh, will will join the meeting, and and that includes the U.S. House of Representatives and and also the senators and. So we get to know uh, the people on their staff uh-huh. uh, pretty well um, over the course of a number of meetings. So, so you know, we get to a point where we come into the meeting. It's not like we're trying to educate them from the ground up. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they they already know. You know, we've set the materials multiple times, so they already know what we have to say, and then we can kind of uh, talk about what's new or, you know, a new, new spin on things. And, you know, at some point when, you know, some legislation comes up, then those relationships and that expertise that, that we can, you know, we can give them uh, some information that, that might be useful, then that will come into play. But, you know, in the moment, I, I fully admit sometimes it can seem a little bit uh, frustrating.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that too because you know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I don't know why, but I see the picture of Sam Graves in front of me. He's I believe the U.S. representative for I believe the sixth district of Missouri, which covers the northern half of the of the state, and it, um, he's a farmer, or at least he tries to sell himself as a farmer. I mean John Tester up in uh, Montana same way, and. I would think these people would be the first ones to be hit by climate change. I, I, I can't imagine that that farming is you know is immune to this stuff, and but yet when the U.S. government tries to come in and say, "Look, you know, we've got to worry about um, about where the water's going in the in the Missouri River," you know, we got to worry about flooding, and we got to worry about uh, all these different factors, and and he's the first one. You know, if you read his newsletters, he's the first one to really express a lot of cynicism toward it. And at the same time, though, when his territory did get flooded a few years back, I think it was like 2017 or something like that, where there, where there was a tremendous amount of damage to, to farmland and low-lying lands around the, around the Missouri River, um, you know, he, he was his district that came to the federal government with, with their hands out saying, you know, we need, we need some relief here. We need to get some FEMA uh, money in here. We need to get some people to rebuild their, their properties and so on. And and I, it, to me, it's like, what do you have to do to the guy? Hit him in the head with a two by four or something to to get him to sort of put this together? Or I'm, I'm, I'm you know I'm not physically saying that you should do that, but 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 <laughs> metaphorically speaking, you know, it, it's sort of to me, it's pretty. I, I'm not a farmer. I'm not I'm, I'm not a rural person, but it seems pretty obvious when you start reading all these stories of of people in in the heartland that are suffering from some of these calamities and yet their representatives just don't seem to want to put it together they still want to play with that football
1: right right uh yeah it you know it it does seem a little baffling uh from the point of view of of someone who you know is familiar with the climate science or or you know at least as much as like you know, folks that, that pay attention. Uh, it does seem a little baffling. Uh, you know, you're right. 2019 was just a disastrous year for farmers throughout the Midwest. It was like the 12 wettest months on, on, on record, you know, and, uh-huh. uh, if you, if you look it up, you can f- find the images or if you remember the news, you know, scenes of flooded out fields and, you know, so, so many acres just underwater. And I hey, think man. it was like Almost three billion dollars of property damage. I mean, it was just a, just incredible, and you know we're still having crazy, crazy weather here in the Midwest. Yeah, um, and you're right; it is an issue for farmers. Um, I, I believe, you know, in my heart of hearts, that uh, the these things, the, these extreme weather events, they will take a toll, and people will come around. Um, but it's just a matter of how soon is that going to be? Yeah. And going back to the optimism, I mean, if we, if we just say, well, you know, they're on one side of this and we're on the other and we got to butt heads and don't, nev- don't nev- you know, they'll never see the light of the day, you know, that, that's, that's not a, a path towards a better place. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one of the things that Citizens Climate Lobby actually does pretty well, they have all these trainings about uh the best way to communicate with uh with people on (laughs) on different you know different areas of the political spectrum yeah and what what words make sense for and what what values you know make sense for people so you know if you start talking about well, you know the CO two is is going up every year. You know, don't you see this chart? Why don't you understand that? You know that, that's not going to resonate with some folks. But yeah. if you talk about things like clean air, you know, and and sh- shouldn't people who who are polluting should shouldn't they have to pay for that? They shouldn't get off free and right. polluting. You know, so there, there there's ways to talk about it that can make. Make the argument a, l- a little more accessible for folks. And, yeah. you know, the key is we just can't give up.
0: Yeah, it, it's, I, I, I get that too. And I think the way you talk to people, the way you relate to them really, really matters. And one of the things that I read under the integrity section of the uh, CCL website uh, is that it, it does do a lot of research and it does put a lot of thought in, in, into what they, and in the, in the facts that they produce. And they can be very factual about things. Like you could talk about, you know, the rising CO two levels in this country or in the world, I should say. Um, but they're, you know, you gotta go beyond the facts, I think, because, you know, the problem these days is everybody has their own set of facts. And if they can't find the facts that that fulfill their argument or that support their argument, they'll make up their own facts and call it alternative facts. And so <clears throat> I mean, think it's really difficult to reach people when you're when you've got all the facts on your side but it's not enough is it how else do you reach them you, you with stories or or what how do you how do you reach people in in other words
1: yeah and you know i think you're pointing out one of the the big issues of our time uh and it's not just on climate change it's on <laughs> a lot of other things um but you're absolutely right uh stories are are a great way Isn't to it? reach people uh you know people talking about things that that people can relate to and meeting the people where they are and not just throwing a bunch of uh data and facts right. at folks um that's that's the that's the way to do it and to be honest you know like like an, a, a lot of folks I, I'm more of a numbers guy you know I'm probably not the absolute best person to do that but um mm-hmm. you know I'm 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 quick to reach for for the data and the and, and the charts and things but uh so it's it's a learning thing for me too but no. it's it's critical that 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 we do this and you know it's um not just climate change it's a lot of things um but climate change is you know obviously <laughs> a very important thing yeah so yeah, yeah a... we just have we just have to keep at it and you know try, trying to reach people where they are
0: yeah yeah, I can imagine it. I mean, a lot of people, you know, we're in what they call flyover territory, right? A lot of people in this area feel like they're being left behind. And and they really kind of resent it when, you know, the left coasters or the right coasters come in with their with their charts and facts and figures and try to fight them with that. Um, but really, that doesn't reach a lot of people. I got to admit, I'm, I'm an intellectual too, but that doesn't always reach me either. But what really reaches me is when you start personalizing it and you know there's always anecdotal stories you can tell which don't in my mind don't mean anything other than just the entertainment value it presents but uh a a whole lot of stories that have a common theme they get told over and over again then people start sitting up and taking notice they start seeing uh boy oh boy you know my my neighbor's property was flooded uh you know why are we getting all these huge tornadoes coming through in january and february I remember growing up, you never had a tornado in January. You never had to worry about that. But you know, here we are. It's it's um, we're getting all these horrible storms, and yeah, maybe you know, if enough enough of these storms come through and it, the stories start to compile up, and people say, "Well, forget about the charts and the facts and stuff," um, I'm beginning to see this change myself, and maybe it's time to start paying attention to it.
1: Yeah, you know, there, there there's a uh, Maya Angelou quote. That, that I like to come back to, and it's um, that people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel.
0: Uh-huh. Perfect. I like that. Good point. So let's, uh, let's get back to some technical stuff here, because uh, there's this thing called the Green New Deal, which I believe was House Resolution 109 from back in 2019, it's gotten a lot of heat. And I always tell everybody, the Green New Deal, unlike a lot of other laws out there, or unlike a lot of other house resolutions out there, is not a real thick book. It's actually something you can read in about 10 minutes. It's it's an amazing read, amazingly short, and it's gotten a lot of controversy over it. Um, but my problem with the Green New Deal is that it has a lot of component parts that are ostensibly related to climate change, but it's also festooned with a lot of what I would call Christmas tree ornaments. These are things that are not not necessarily directly related to climate change such as income inequality, organized labor family farms, the protection of democracy and so on um, is what is what is the CCL's relationship with the green New Deal is this are they kind of like on the parallel track here or what what sort of relationship is there between the two
1: So that's a great question Dan um CCL does not, uh, take an official position On the Green New Deal um, at, at best you could say We you know the organization Wishes it luck You know mm-hmm. um, Now obviously our individual Members there are some some Members that are probably uh, All the way in on the Green New Deal There's other folks who Are not so much mm-hmm. uh, In on the Green New Deal but, but we, we kind of take a Uh, an approach that you know that's something else that's going on we're totally compatible with it Uh we're not incompatible but we're that that's not the thing that's not the specific thing that we're we're trying to achieve um and to so up until just last year we had one main focus and that that was carbon pricing Mm -hmm. now that's still a focus um, for us. But we, we, we have a few other things that we've we've changed up and added added into our efforts since then. <laughs> but uh just to say one little thing about this. The 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 carbon fiend dividend um bill which which we've advanced it is very detailed. It's not some uh kind of aspirational thing that says some nice things about you know some 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 you know values that that you know folks might you know enjoy hearing about. Mm-hmm. It, it's a bill that says this is this is how this is going to work, and you know it's a, it's a big, long, dry, lengthy uh, bill to to you know that's been put forward. So a okay. lot of detail you can stick your teeth into if if you ever want to.
0: Could you give us the Reader's Digest version of how carbon pricing works, though?
1: Sure, sure. And then don't let me forget to to get into kind of what our focus is of. With, Evolved into But it's, it still includes Carbon pricing But Basically It says We will put a fee On uh, The fossil fuels At the Closest Point where they Enter our economy So it's whether It's being extracted From the ground Or it's coming Through a pipeline uh, Or offloaded Off a ship
0: mm-hmm. uh, When
1: it's coming Into the US economy We'll put a fee On that mm-hmm. And that fee uh, will go into a trust fund, and then all the, the the revenues collected from from this carbon pricing will be returned to uh, the U.S. to legal U.S. residents in the form of a dividend. Hmm. Okay. So it's it's what what we call a revenue neutral approach. So it's not like a tax where you're just taking some money out and then maybe it gets spent on something but you don't know, you know, who knows what it gets spent on. It it comes out in a way it's coming out of the economy in the form of that fee but then it gets reintroduced to the economy uh in 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 its entirety um in the form of a dividend.
0: But why not um I I, I guess Economics was never my strong suit back in college. That's why I stuck with engineering. But uh, from what I remember of economics, um, wouldn't that be tend to be somewhat inflationary, though? Because the uh, well, first of all, it would be. I think it'd be inflationary because um, you're actually now taking money out of out of one end of the pipeline and and giving it directly to the people. And the the higher the money, you know, the 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 more money you put in circulation, uh, the more that helps drive inflation um but the, but the second thing too is the principle of the thing why not put that money into purchasing uh, renewable energy facilities like like uh solar panels or turbine wind turbines or you know maybe hydroelectric or something like that 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 doesn't necessarily uh pollute but it it does benefit everybody it's just it's not like you know giving people you know right. cash as sure, opposed
1: sure. to, yeah yeah so let me so you've asked a couple of questions there so let me let me ask, answer your second question first and okay. then uh don't let me escape until I answer your first question also <laughs> okay um what so why are, why are we just giving it back to people instead of using it to to build out massive renewable projects things like that mm-hmm. uh there's a couple reasons one is simply to say that it's revenue neutral because there are a lot of people in in the country who say, you know, we don't want new taxes, we don't want the government just taking money out. So this is a way that we can say, well, you know, it's coming out of this place, it's but it is going back to the people. Uh-huh. Um, and so a more probably a more important. Uh, and and we call it a fee. It's not a it's not a tax, really. It's a yeah. it's called a, we're calling it a fee. Hey. But uh, more importantly, as you point out, if you uh, put a fee onto energy prices, okay, onto fossil fuels, which will cause energy prices to to go up, um, that will that will impact folks, right? Yeah. Well, who's who's that going to impact? Um. The people, the the people who make the least amount of money are the most likely to, to see an impact. You know, because, um, somebody somebody did an estimate of how much this fee would cost in the first year. What what would it do to like gasoline prices at the mm-hmm. pump, right? right? And, it, and and it would affect other things too. But let's just look at gasoline prices. It'd be somewhere like, ten to fifteen cents per gallon. Mm-hmm which when you look at how much it fluctuates, it's not that much, but for folks who are at you know the lower end of the income uh, spectrum, yeah, you know, if if their gas goes up a little bit and maybe the cost of their food goes up a little bit, uh, that really, really does affect those folks. It's folks who are at the higher high end of the income spectrum, you know, they you know they they that's a, you know just a rounding error in their in their monthly expenses and right. they, you know barely notice right. so here's here's the way this works the, this fee basically you know obviously it will cost it will cause some increase in gas prices and energy prices it will cause some some increase in not a lot but you know some <laughs> uh on on goods and services which you know require energy if it's coming from fossil fuel. Right. But then because that goes back in evenly distributed to US residents, the people at the lowest end of the income spectrum, and actually the the it's it's like up to the 54% of mm-hmm. the income spectrum will see a net benefit. They will get a monthly dividend check which on average will be more than what they're paying for in increased gasoline or food or clothing prices. I yeah. Yeah. And then the next, and, and there's studies, um, there's, the reason I can quote numbers here is because there are studies that economists have done. And I, you know, I can, uh, I'm always happy to send people links to, to these studies, but like the next 28% percent will see like, either zero or like less than 1% of, you know, increased, you know, net, net increased cost. And so it's really only the top few percent, uh, um, you know, the, the, the millionaires uh-huh. basically, you know, uh, very, very high income people that, that will be And that will see kind of a, a net cost. And the reason is because, they're the folks that have the high carbon footprint. They've got you know multiple SUVs and you know parked on their second home. Right. It's you know down by the lake, and they're taking you know jet soft jet vacations and and whatnot. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's what you would call a uh, a, a progressive system where it's going to benefit uh, the 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 bottom fifty percent. Okay. They will get a net benefit. Fair enough.
0: And and I guess that, that the first part of the of the uh question you wanted to answer too then was uh I voiced some concern over inflation.
1: Yeah, you're taking some some money out of uh one uh part of the economy and you're putting it uh in into another. Uh and could you know, could that cause some prices to go up? And so, yeah, it could, sure, it could have an impact, but, um, in terms of like the whole U.S. government budget, this is, this is like a a small fraction, Mm -hmm. um, you know, look how much we, we take out, we take out, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars and then we put some of it into, uh, some of it into the military and we put some of it into, uh, you know, housing assistance or other, you know, other social services. So we are doing that on a massive, massive scale already. Um, if, 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 you know, if doing, if doing this, so, so just to put this in perspective, the estimate of a monthly dividend check for a family of four would be, uh, around $65 in the first year of this carbon fee. $65 $65 over the whole year, you a mean? A month. Oh, per month. Okay. A month. A month. And then the idea is that for the average person, their whatever um increase they're going to see, you know, a few cents in gas, you know, maybe some, you know, food prices go up or what, you know, whatever because of energy costs, that entire cost of living will be less than that $65 check that they're going to get. Okay.
0: And, and I guess uh, I don't want to belabor this point too much, but I guess that the the bottom line in all this is that it would it would discourage the rich companies, or I, would, I shouldn't say rich companies, but it, it would discourage the energy companies from uh, from, from uh, fossil fuels and more toward or incentivize them more toward renewable energy sources.
1: I'm not sure if I put it exactly that way, that this is a market-based solution. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, we make people uh, in businesses pay for all sorts of things. You know, they have to pay for insurance. They, they have to pay, they can't just, uh, you know, dump all their trash into the middle of the street. They have to, they have to pay for that. You know, you know, all these things are part of our, are just built into our economy. Um, so okay. what was i going to say yeah, um it's, that's fair enough so I mean, but yeah, so here's yeah. the thing here's mm-hmm. the thing this uh under this system you as a business are incentivized to find ways to be more energy efficient right so you know yeah. given that we that, that we live ostensibly in a, in a free market economy you know, and um, you know, can argue how free it is, but it is a market-driven economy with competition. Uh, if you're, you know, if you've got a factory making toaster ovens or whatever, you know, in the U.S., maybe somebody still does that, but, you, you know, your factory making whatever, if you find some way to use less energy or maybe you can hook into renewables to power your factory, that that will give you an advantage over somebody who's doing the same thing. That, that has to pay for fossil fuels, which are, which will, you know, now start pricing into the, into it, um, you know, sure. something to account for the, you know, in, environmental damage that fossil fuels are, are actually doing Yeah. Well, so this yeah. will, this will incentivize all sorts of innovation, uh, to uh, drive us towards a, uh, uh, fossil free, you know, renewable type of economy.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's it's a capitalist society, right? So if you make it profitable for a company to change its ways, uh, it won't take long before they change their ways. The only thing that I would fear, and I, I, really, I really want to kind of move on to the next topic, but the only thing I would fear here is that the energy companies would respond by simply uh, doing what they always do, and that is to raise their prices and uh, keep their stockholders and their upper level management uh, happy. And, um, you know, it's, it gets into a, a situation where you have to, you being the government, would have to go through and start regulating more closely what these fossil fuel companies ca- can and cannot do with their money. And, um, it, it, yeah, it, it dovetails into a really long discussion about antitrust laws and so on. I really don't want to go there too much. but I, I did have one urgent question. I wanted to go back a little bit. Um, one of the things the L in CCL is for lobby, and how do you how do you lobby a politician without money? Yeah, you because know, we we talk a lot <laughs> about we talk a lot on, on on democracy on the move about how money influences politics. And, you know, with, with the 2010 uh, Supreme Court um, Citizens United decision, it really opened up the floodgates to putting more money into politics, putting more money in, into campaigns that politicians run. And, and a lot of this is dark money. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't really know where it's going to, but you know a lot of it is there. And uh, here comes CCL, Citizens Climate Lobby, um, and do you have money to offer to the, to the politicians or is it just kind of hanging around in the, in the lobby and doing classic lobbying where you try to catch them during a meeting or something like that?
1: Right. Yeah. That, that's a, uh, quite a big question you you, you asked there, Dan. Um, so, so absolutely, you know, money in politics is, is an issue and it's, it's, a, it's more so since Citizens United um, and I mean, you know, this is, this is an issue for anyone who wants to make change. Uh, I guess my answer is, well, f- for one thing, no, we're, we're not, uh, we're not, uh, uh, making big campaign donations that, you know, to, to influence, uh, politicians. That's, that's not what we do. And mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, the, the American system is, it's it's not perfect, and it's 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 it does have a lot of money, you know, influencing it, but it's not totally broken either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our elections uh, still work, and the votes are still coming from individual people. So, um, in some ways, it is a, an uphill struggle to. Uh, to get folks informed and to, uh, you know, build this political will. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it's, it's, it's something we have to do and it's, it's absolutely not possible. There are a lot of, uh, members of the U S house who have endorsed our, our bill Mm -hmm. on the, you know, in the past, you know, we have a new Congress this year, so I think they have to reintroduce the bill and get all those, uh, you, you start all over to, again, to, yeah. Reendorse, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, go, it goes back to the optimism, and it's like, well, you know, what else are you going to do, right? Right. You know, this is a, this is a system we have. It's not perfect, but it's it's not like totally hundred percent, you know, uh, broken either. So let's let's try to make it work. We've had, as I said before, we've had periods of division and dysfunction in the past. And you know we just we can't give up
0: You're right yeah i I'm, I'm thinking of all the reasons why you can't succeed, but um <clears throat> that kind of attitude never wins right
1: uh, you know that's yeah if you if you just focus on the negatives and believe me I you know get 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 give me in a give me in a bar with a you know nice beer in front of me and I'll you know I'll come up with more reasons than than, than you. I think. (laughs) But, uh, uh, no, if you just focus on that, that's, uh, you know, that doesn't lead to, to, to a happy place. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, the way I think about it, there's two things, you know, what, another one I, I I like to use is a Joan Baez quote, you know, the, the antidote action is the antidote for despair. So when you think about all these, um, you know, uh negative things uh and and you're feeling down you know the, the the only way you can kind of pull yourself out of that spiral is to do something to do something positive yeah even if it doesn't uh immediately yield success um just just doing the thing can you know help you help your own state of mind and uh you know, people doing the thing, you know, ultimately will pay dividends. It's just you may not see those things right away.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. It it On, on a personal psychological level, it's really unhealthy to yell at your TV. It, it, it feels like a catharsis. You know, you're getting it out of your system, you're screaming and doing the primordial, primordial scream, whatever they call it. And, but it, like I say, at the end of the day, Action is really what sustains your optimism out there, and it, and it can rescue you from, from despair, and I, I, I'm totally on board with that, totally on board. Um, so we're kind of wrapping this thing up pretty soon here, but I want to ask you about your personal experience with Citizens Climate Lobby. What, uh, what does a day, average day, look like to you? I mean, I know you work full-time, et cetera, and you have other things going on, but I mean, insofar as, as a as Citizens Climate Lobby, Uh, What does a typical day look like for you? And what would it look like for someone who were to volunteer for it?
1: There are a number of things that that we do to try to build political will. And it's really kind of up to the volunteer what what they feel good about doing or where their strengths are. Um, One of the things that we do is, I think I mentioned it uh, a little earlier, we, we schedule lobby meetings with our members of Congress, so folks are welcome to participate on these lobby teams. It's usually like three or four folks will will uh, join this meeting, and everybody kind of has a role. And and you know, folks will kind of have uh, things that they're responsible for for saying. So that's something folks can do. Uh-huh. Um, we do things like uh, uh, encourage people to write letters to the editor. Uh, I think we may have some trainings on that. I know there's been some like letter writing parties that uh, that the organization has done. um just last year, uh, prior to the election, uh we did a uh, a uh, postcard campaign, get out the vote. you know, mm-hmm. non- obviously, we're nonpartisan, so you know, we just said, you know, Uh, please, you know, go vote, keep, keep the earth in mind, you know, as you're voting and please remember to vote. And uh, so our, you know, our chapter sent out uh, a thousand postcards and I know we could have sent out a lot more if we would have, uh, if we would have acted a little bit earlier, Uh Uh, we partner with uh, a group called environmental uh, voter project. Uh Um, So not to, not to distract from, from our group, but that's another group that's, you know, worth, looking into and they're also big uh you know non-partisan get out the vote mm-hmm. so we we do these things we sometimes we go we do uh we table at certain events like uh earth day we're actually going to be talking about uh what we're going to plan for for that experience this year okay so it's a, it's all about just build, you know getting things to where we're, we've built up a political will where our representatives, they've seen letters coming in from constituents. They've got, you know, maybe businesses have endorsed it. You know, everything they're hearing is do something about the environment. Okay.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, and you know, I think that um, appealing to directly to lobby the people in Washington, D.C. is, is a, an approach, but they may listen to you a little bit more if you've done those letters to the editor and you've You've uh, built up a groundswell out there. It really is a big marketing operation, right? You're building up a groundswell of people out there, of real voters who have these real concerns, raising concerns to the voters, and then you can go back to the politician and say, no, I don't have any money for you, but i got a lot of people that are really interested in this, and these people vote. So... You know you don't right yeah at the end
1: of the day it's really the votes that you know money money just buys ads which can influence votes but it's really the votes yeah uh one thing i just want to slip this in here before you know we i know we're running out of time you know i talked a lot about carbon pricing um Mm -hmm. just in this past uh few months we've diversified uh the our 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 focus areas so uh carbon pricing is still still one of those but Um, One of the things that we're uh, encouraging our members to do now is also um, build relationships more locally with uh, other municipal governments or or other organizations to uh, help them in their efforts in other areas. And those other areas include um, building electrification and efficiency, healthy forests. And clean permitting reform. So those are other things that we're we're now getting into. So if carbon pricing doesn't sound like it's you know super sexy to <laughs> to somebody, you know we've got these other areas also that we are uh, starting to do advocacy also. Oh, good.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually had that written down in front of me. I was supposed to ask you about uh, what the uh, focus has evolved into after the um, after uh, carbon. carbon pricing. Good. And uh, final question here is what I call the call to action section. Uh, Where can people go to find out more about Citizens Climate Lobby and and what they can do to
1: participate? Okay, so this is super easy. All you do is go to CitizensClimateLobby.org. Just one big long word. CitizensClimateLobby.org. And there's a button to join. And when you join, um, it will ask you a couple of things and basically where you live, what your zip code is. And then based on that, it will assign you to the correct chapter. Okay. And it makes everything is made really easy. And um, once once you get in to our organization, they make so many things easy. Uh, We have automated things that remind you to call your member of Congress. We've got trainings online. Yeah, very very accessible. Okay, lots of
0: different things to do. I imagine because some people probably don't feel comfortable, you know, talking to politicians or maybe knocking on doors, or whatever they have to do. But uh, everybody has something to bring to the table that can be uh, that can be utilized. I would imagine.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. If if whatever your whatever your um, skill is or whatever you know the thing that you feel comfortable in doing. There's a way to help, and, 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 and we've, got the, we've got all those ways available.
0: Wonderful. Good. We've been talking with Tim Ely, co-leader of the St. Louis chapter of one of the 560 chapters of the Citizens Climate Lobby. Tim, uh, thank you for joining us on Democracy on the Move today. Thank you, Dan. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week.